and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I'm Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free or paid subscriptions available. Just as a heads up, I think a lot of more of the content is going to become paywalled down the stretch of the season and into the offseason because there's a lot of big stuff happening. So I would encourage everybody to sign up for a paid subscription to the newsletter, which uh, you can do over there. The podcast, which will always be free, you can get on YouTube if you're not uh, subscribed on YouTube. Even if you're not going to listen on YouTube, you should go subscribe on YouTube because that still helps me. But then you can also get the podcast on the Odyssey app because we're part of the Odyssey family. And then you can get us on Apple, Spotify, all the usual platforms where you can get podcasts, whatever you do, subscribe, rate, review. We're going to get to a little bit of a Pelicans discussion with my guy Christian Clark who covers the pelicans for uh nola.com and has a podcast called from the wing which is a pelicans podcast and he does a great job covering the team we're going to get to some of that but obviously i think it would be only appropriate to open this by talking a little bit about what happened on sunday night because i was there in the building for it and I can't say I've ever been in the building for somebody scoring 71 points in a game before. I I, I would say the the, I, the moment that we kind of realized that it was going to maybe be something crazy was with about two and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. Damian Lillard hits a couple of free throws to get his point total up to 30 for the first half. And then in the next three possessions, he just hits three straight threes, including the one, the, 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 the last of the three was the one where he took one step beyond half court and then just drained it. And it was like the most effortless looking jumper ever. Now it's like, oh, okay, he's just doing this now. Okay, it's going to be one of those. Like maybe he'll get to another 60 point game like he had against the Jazz a few weeks ago. And then, you know, with like a second to go in the second quarter, he hits a little runner. Now he has 41 points in the half, which is the same amount of points that Donovan Mitchell had in the second half and overtime of uh, his 71-point game earlier this season. And then we kind of on media row, we're all just looking at each other like, okay, this might be another one of those nights. I guess I've got something to write tonight. And then... It was actually funny the way that the third quarter shook out because Dame didn't really do much as far as scoring in the third quarter because the Rockets were just completely like throwing two or three guys at him. They were trying to take the ball out of his hands, and he was like, cool, I'll pass the ball to Matisse Thibault. I'll pass the ball to other guys. I'll get guys open shots. I'm good. And then eventually, for some reason, they started you know single-covering Dame again, and then he went back to work and... <laughs> Ended up with a 71-point game, which, again, I, I, it, it, was, it was one of those nights where once it got into the fourth quarter and everybody kind of thought, you know, he, he only scored nine points in the third quarter, which got him to 50. 
And having 50 points through three quarters is crazy as it is. It's not the first time Dame has done that. He did it against Sacramento a number of years ago. I think it was uh, either 17-18 or 18-19 was one of those years. It was really close to when CJ had the 50 and three quarters against the Bulls. It was one of those two seasons. But he, uh, you know, he had 50 through three quarters. And then from then on, it's like, okay, let's see if he can get to 60. And for the entire fourth quarter, like, it was one of those ones, you know how, like, when, if you've ever been to a, a game where somebody is going off like that, and you can feel the crowd just, like, ready to explode every time they take a shot, like, like you can feel it, it's, like, pent up, like, as the ball is leaving their hands, it's, like, pent up, and you can feel it, like, they're gonna explode if it goes in, or they're just gonna kind of groan if, if he doesn't make it. It was not only that, but it was also one of those ones where, like, you could feel the air come out of the building whenever he passed the ball to anybody else. Because the entire crowd was like, no, don't pass it. We don't want to see it. It doesn't even matter. Even if, like, they're rooting for the team and somebody else on the team makes a shot, that's not what they want. They want to see Dame score as many points as possible. And I think by the end, like, you know, he, he, got, to, he got past the, you know, the 61-point mark you know, to set a new career high. And then he, I think at that point, he just, and he doesn't really like to chase this kind of stuff, but I think at that point, he was just like, you know, screw it, I'm going to go for 70. And then once he got to the 71, you could see, he was like kind of calling for Chauncey to be like, okay, I'm, I'm gassed, like, I've, I've got nothing left, take me out. And then finally, with about 45 seconds left in the game, uh, Chauncey, you know, calls a timeout, pulls him, he gets the ovation, and... As has been, you know, written and reported, including by me and that Dame has talked about, he comes into the locker room when we're all in there. He has a blue Band-Aid on one of his forearms, like right here. And he says he got drug tested, like the league drew blood. And I mean, it was, it was the, the way this stuff is set up. It's not like, it is not like the league was like, oh, this guy scored a lot of points. Let's make sure he's not on something. Like the drug tests were like, th these drug tests were like randomly scheduled throughout the year. And it just so happened to be like a funny coincidence that, he got his name called for the drug test the night that he scored 71 points, which was not only his obviously career high, but the Blazers franchise record tied with Donovan Mitchell for the most points in a game this season. And the most points in a game tied with Donovan Mitchell since Kobe's 81 point game in uh, 2006. And he's one of, I think eight players ever to score 70 points in a game. So just, you know, however the rest of the season goes that, that's kind of a fun list for Dame to be on, and that's just another little fun career accomplishment for him to have. Now, as far as the rest of the season goes, uh, they have, you know, they're, they're playing the Warriors tonight, recording this on Tuesday late morning. So they've got Golden State tonight in San Francisco. New Orleans here at home tomorrow, which is going to be the first time that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum actually face off against each other because all of the times they've played since the trade, one or both of them has been out, including, you know, Dame's been out for all of those games. So this is going to be the first time the two of them actually play against each other in the game where they're both on the court. And so they've got that. And then they've got this six-game road trip that's probably going to define what does or doesn't happen the rest of the season. It's a pretty tough road because you've got Atlanta, then you've got Orlando, who's already beaten them. And then Detroit, they should beat. But then you've got uh, Boston, Philly, and New Orleans again. And then you come home and you play the Knicks. So it's a pretty crucial stretch of the season really coming up for the first half of March for this team. A lot of road games, a lot of games against good teams. Dame has been adamant that 
he thinks they can still make a run and they, and they can still salvage it. As of right now, they're basically tied with New Orleans for 10th versus 11th, which is why these games coming up against them are going to be so important. But, you know, as we've been saying all season, it could go one of two ways. They could lose a bunch of these games and then they're just out of the play-in and then maybe you pull the plug and just start playing young guys. Or they go on a little run and they're only two games out of sixth right now. Like, it could go either way. And this next couple of weeks is going to really decide it. And a lot of the health stuff, I think, is going to decide it too. I think Anthony Simons from what I've seen and what I've heard is closer than I think maybe people thought in the moment when he had that uh, ankle injury that looked really bad. It seems like he's progressing really quickly and there's even a chance he might play in the next week or so. He's ruled out for the Golden State game. I would imagine he doesn't play uh, tomorrow, but it might not be much longer after that. Nurkic, I think, is getting closer. I don't think it's going to be too much longer before he's back, but that would obviously be a big help to get a little bit of size back in the lineup. So that's all kind of stuff to watch for. And now uh, I just recorded a conversation with my buddy Christian Clark, who covers the Pelicans for NOLA.com slash The Advocate and uh, has a Pelicans podcast called From the Wing. And he does a great job covering that team. He's a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. He used to cover the Nuggets, so we spent a lot of time together during the – blazers nuggets series in 2019 in the, in, the, in the second round so we just kind of get into a lot of some of the bigger picture stuff about where that team is at you know how the zion uh ingram pairing has worked out you know where zion's health is at, where the roster is at why they haven't been as good as people thought they were going to be besides the health stuff uh it's it's one of those again if you if you guys like the episodes that i do with people who cover other teams it's kind of another one of those and Christian has some really interesting insights on the Pelicans, who are a pretty fascinating team that we haven't really done much with this year because the Blazers have only played them once very early on in the season, but they play each other three times in the next month. So I figure this is a good opportunity to get some perspective kind of from that end of things. So let's get to that now. Christian, thanks for doing this. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. I think this is going to be a, uh, a pretty fun game, and it looks like it's going to be pretty important, too. Well, for both teams, and it's actually funny because uh, the last time they played each other was pretty early in the season. It was on the Blazers' uh, early season road trip where they went 4-2, and two, and they came home from that trip 9-3, and three, and they were one of the top teams in the West, and I think at that point, New Orleans was also one of the top teams in the West, and... I think people were maybe like feeling like the Pelicans were more of a serious contender than the Blazers were. I think people more saw what has happened to the Blazers season coming than the Pelicans season. But now, you know, we're looking at not just the game tomorrow, but they play each other again in New Orleans in a couple of weeks. And then again here at the end of the month, so they play each other three times in the month of March, basically. And instead of being something that determines, you know, playoff seeding and playoff matchups and all of that, these games might determine which of these teams is in the play-in and which one isn't. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the the Pelicans are are down bad right now. I mean, you know, Zion is going to be out for a few more weeks still. It's kind of the same old story. Mm-hmm. There was a setback. No idea when he'll be back. You know, they their problem right now is they just they just can't score the ball without him. I mean, their offense is in hell right now. They just put up ninety three points against the Orlando Magic on on Monday night scored two points in the final four minutes of the game. And, you know, they still have Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, 
know, basically the same cast of role players that they, that they did last spring when they made that, that run to the playoffs. But the results look a lot different right now. Why can they not? Because you you just named like they've got guys CJ obviously who we know very well in Portland and we, you know we'll, we'll we'll get to some CJ stuff later on. But uh, him and Ingram like you if you've got those two, I mean it kind of reminds me honestly of the Bulls where like you have Zach Levine, Demar Derozan, and Nikola Vucevic. Why do you have a bottom half offense in the league? It, it kind of feels like that's what's going on with the Pelicans right now. It's it's really confusing. I mean, they're they're twenty fifth in offense since Zion went down in, in early January. Um I mean, Ingram and CJ are not shooting it as well for mid range this year as they did last year. CJ in particular, I think, is is struggling right now. You know, I think it's fair to wonder how much of that is uh, a right thumb issue he's dealing with. You know, he said it's a, a ligament issue. He's wearing kind of a wrap on it. He said he's gonna have to get an MRI. Um, and the other part of it, too, is, I mean, the, the starting lineup they've rolled out after the All-Star break, there's not a lot of three-point shooting, not a lot of spacing around those two guys either. I mean, they've been starting Josh Richardson and and Herb Jones. I mean, Herb, incredible defender, but he's taken a step back in offense this year. And, I mean, he just he can't make an outside shot right now. I mean, he's, he's really going through it. And, you know, Josh Richardson is like a, a fine role player, but – He's not, uh, you know, they were starting Trey Murphy before the All-Star break. Like, that's legitimate floor spacing right there, and they swapped that out for Josh Richardson. And Jonas Valanciunas, too, is is he looks kind of banged up. He's not playing that well. So a lot of it is falling on on Brandon's and CJ's shoulders. They're taking a bunch of tough mid-range shots, and they're not going down at the rate they did last year. The Herb Jones thing is so interesting to me because he last, last year, like when, you know, they got him in the second round, he made, you know, be, got into the rotation pretty quickly and then all last summer he was untouchable in those kevin durant uh trade packages like that like and now it, it feels like people have kind of turned on him a little bit in new orleans yeah i mean the the durant thing is interesting if you want to get into it i mean i think part of that is like i was wondered and i don't know one way or the other but did durant like, would he have wanted to come here at all? Well, you know? no, he wanted yeah. to go to Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to go to Phoenix, but I think they would have felt like he has three years, four years, or whatever left on his contract, and so they, I don't know. Yeah, that was but, the whole thing. I just, I was, just, I was just kind of bringing that up more so from the standpoint of that's how high people were on Herb Jones going into the season, and now it seems like, I mean, he's like you said, he's still a great defender. He's, you know, he still has a lot of value on that end, but he's not really thought of now as kind of the foundational guy that they maybe thought they found out of nowhere in the second round that, you know, after last season. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, last year he was not a high volume three point shooter by any means, you know, taking a little more than a two per game, but he made it at, you know, 34%, right? He made just enough to where it was like, okay, if we completely ignore this guy, he can make one every once in a while. And, you know, that would open up some other things for him this year. I mean, he's just taken a step back. In, in terms of the uh, the outside shooting, I think he's at 28% this year. I mean, there have been three games in a row in the three games since the All-Star break. Ingram has found them like wide open and he's just airballed a three. I mean, he just has he just has no confidence in in the shot right now. I mean, it's really messing with their spacing. I mean, it's it's really tough right now. Like if you could make Herb Jones and Trey Murphy into one player, if you could mold them into one player, that would be like the perfect NBA role player. I mean, right now, both are good, you know, pretty good players, but Herb just is not giving you much at all on the offensive end. And, and Trey Murphy, you know, Willie Green doesn't trust him enough on defense to unleash him.
Yeah, it's actually when you when you say you could combine them to make the perfect role player, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like you know what it kind of reminds me of. I think somebody reminded me of this the other day that like back in the early on in the Lopez twins' career, there was this thought that like if you could just combine Brooks' offense with Robin's defense, it would be like the greatest center of all time. <laughs> and then you know, and the, and then Robin and I mean Brook rather ended up just kind of becoming a defensive player of the year guy. But but anyway, so what what, what do you make of uh, CJ McCollum's? season because i mean obviously he was great when he got traded there at the deadline and you know was a big part of why they made that unexpected playoff run this year his numbers i think are lower than they have been really at most points in his career his three-point numbers his three-point shooting is way down he's at 37.7 percent on the season which is the lowest that it's been since uh he's only been below 38 three times in his career and one of them was in his rookie year is it is it just like he has way more responsibility now with Zion being out is that kind of why that's dipped a little bit or like what like what have you made of you know the way he's been this season yeah I mean I I think the efficiency numbers have have kind of consistently been lower this year than they have been throughout his career I mean he was sick a bunch early in the year he had COVID he had a like a flu type thing that he missed time with um it's just I mean, he got his footing a little bit, especially when, you know, they won in that seven-game winning streak and Zion was healthy. And, you know, since Zion went out, he he's just struggled a little bit. But it's been, I think, a little bit underwhelming. But at the same time, like, CJ has been, you know, like the, the only of the New Orleans three stars to be in the lineup pretty consistently this year, play through stuff when he's banged up. I mean, Zion, he can't play with the hamstring. It's... Like that's a pretty bad injury, and and the reaggravation was pretty serious. And I mean, it's going to cost cost him most or even all of this stretch of of games after the All Star break. But Brandon Ingram too. I mean, Brandon Ingram missed twenty nine games in a row with an injury the team described as a left toe contusion. So I feel like people here are like, well, CJ is not having you know he he's having a below average season by his standards, but he's at least played in the games. Like that's that's kind of where people are at down here. He's played in the games, and he's also had to do so much with how much other guys have been. Now, so Zion, there's there's no real like timeline or when Zion's gonna be back. Yeah, no, no timeline. It's it's gonna be a while still. That sucks because when the thing that's kind of gets put under the radar now, just because there's so much other stuff to talk about in the NBA right now, is you know he misses all of last season. He comes back this year, and he's just as good as everybody thought he was gonna be. He's he's like you know all star starter, all NBA level guy like he is exactly what he was advertised as in the draft you know finally now that he got healthy and then he gets hurt again I mean that's that's the whole conundrum he never plays but when he does play he's freaking amazing and and I thought he got to a level this year where I mean I thought he was not just as good as he was pre-foot injury I mean I thought he was a little bit better I mean I think this was the best we've seen from Zion at the NBA level I mean offensively like we all know what he does you know leads leads the NBA in paint scoring when he's out there. Mm-hmm. Just you can't do like, anything with him at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it's insane, but I thought where he, you know, took some steps this year was we saw some of the like defensive, I guess, activity we saw at Duke. Right. I mean, at Duke, he was this guy who was like, he was creating a turnover, like every third possession or something like that. And, you know, they were this transition mon- like, monster team in transition and the Pelicans were kind of doing some of that. Like some of that defensive playmaking had come back a little bit. I mean, I, I even wrote a thing when at the, toward the end of that seven game winning streak, I was like, 
with this Zion and this team, the Pelicans can be contenders, which looks very foolish now, but I really believed it at the time. I was like, this guy looks like he can be potentially be the best player in a team that makes the Western conference finals. You know, they've got a pretty deep cast of role players and yeah, well, I mean, we know how that's aged. Not well, very well. <laughs> the thing is, I don't think that's foolish because with that Zion, they could be contenders. It's just that he then gets hurt again. And it, it sucks because this is the first going into this season. It was the first time that he really had, you know, from the beginning of the season to really just, you know, be totally, you know, locked in because so, you know, his rookie season, obviously misses the first like half of the season with the knee injury and then COVID hits after like two weeks of him actually playing. And then the next, his second season was, you know, he, he was pretty good that year. He was an all-star, but like, that was also like the weird COVID season with, you know, the no fans and like that, that you kind of just throw out pretty much everything that happened in that season. And then last year he misses the whole season. And then this year, finally, you know, he gets the contract extension. He comes in, like there was obviously there was that whole, you know, and I, I'm sure you, know more about this than I do about how overblown that may or may not have been but like there was the whole you know obviously there was like the way they handled the injury last year with a foot where they were maybe not transparent about how they disclosed it or how serious it was and then there was that you know the whole talking point of oh is he gonna sign the qualifying offer and leave and then nope signs the extension comes in seems like he's in shape starts off the season the way that he does and now it's finally like okay this is like finally all this outside stuff and all this distractions and all these injuries all this other stuff it looks like it's finally behind him now he's put it together and he is the guy that everybody thought he was going to be and then just another setback and now it unfortunately it, it doesn't seem like he's going to be back I mean do you think do you think he plays again this season yeah I I think he will um I mean I think last season you know, he wanted to play towards the end of the year and the team basically held him out because they were worried that he would re-break the foot. You uh -huh. know, they were like, it is an absolute doomsday scenario if we let him back on the court and he re-breaks the foot this season. So they held him out. I mean, this is a little bit different. Um, I mean, I, I, I think we probably see him on the floor again this year. Um, and, it, you know, it really has been a kind of a crazy 16 months for for Zion and the Pels and, and their relationship. I mean, you know, as as you said, you know, before the start of last season, both Zion and Griff said, oh, yeah, he broke his foot, but he'll be ready for the start of this season. <laughs> and he missed all 82, right? I mean, you know, part of that, just him having a couple different setbacks, him just being too heavy, and that contributed to the bone healing, right. not as not in the way that it should. Um, and I think, honestly, I think, like, the relationship between Zion and the team was very strained, you know, around the time he was in Portland, kind of MIA, you know, that was that just think, because like they didn't agree about, was it like a Spurs Kawhi thing where like they didn't agree about how he should approach his rehab? Was it kind of that, or was there other stuff with it too? Um, I think there was other stuff with it too. Um, but I, I think, you know, things changed when the Pelicans like looked competent without him. I think, you know, when they went, when they got CJ, that was huge, you know, like kind of an adult in the room and also a very good player, um, and someone who has like made an effort to actually have a relationship with Zion and does have a good relationship with Zion. Like that was big, but like Zion saw, Oh, if I come back to this, like we can be good. Like there was, there was like proof of concept. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think the relationship is much better now. Like, I don't think that's that much of a concern, but like the anxiety about him not signing extension for a while seemed real to me. Yeah. That, I mean, 
I always and like what I heard and again you you were closer to this than I am. I had always heard that kind of the, some of the stuff about like oh he wants to leave, he wants to go to a big market, he wants to be in New York. A lot of that stuff it seems like was more coming from people around him and you know people in his circle than it maybe was him himself whereas his mindset from a couple of people that I've talked to and again you've talked to more people around the organization than I have but the couple of people I talked to said Zion likes his coach he likes his guys he just wants to get back out there and play he doesn't really care about all that stuff yeah I mean I think that's that's somewhat accurate I mean there's like there's just a lot of noise or there has been a lot of noise um from some of the people like around Zion but mm-hmm. I would say that that's accurate that there hasn't you know like been as much noise from from Zion himself. I mean, Zion, like to me, he can be like engaging and gregarious on camera, but like, I think he's kind of naturally introverted. Mm-hmm. Like he even said, you know, like CJ went on TNT right after that trade. And he was like, yeah, I haven't talked to Zion. Like I've tried to reach out to him and he hasn't hit me back. Like Zion said a couple months later, he's like, yeah, I just kind of keep to myself, you know, like he's, it's not really, I don't think his personality to like, I guess, communicate with his teammates all the time. And I mm-hmm. think that's something he's, needed to get better at and has tried to get better at. Um, but yeah, he's like a lot of the the noise, I'll just say, was not coming directly from Zion himself. That's so interesting what you bring up about him seeming like this super, you know, outgoing, you know, big personality, but he's not actually like that. That's got to be kind of difficult for somebody like him to navigate because when you are, you know, physically as talented as he is and you know he was at a huge you know a big name school in duke and he was like this high school you know highlight you know house of highlights superstar before he even got to duke and you know was the number one pick in the in the draft like you kind of you you have so many eyes on you he's basically like it's not to the level of lebron where like he was on the cover of si when he was 16 but it's like he was like he's like the closest thing now to like that level of like he was a child star and he had all this attention on him before he ever played a game in the NBA and he was like the guy that teams spent two years you know preparing to try to draft and and then you know for him to not you know he hasn't taken the same approach to it that LeBron did where like LeBron was like embraced that he was in every commercial he was doing every single interview he was doing all this stuff early on in his career he wanted to be out there he wanted that part of it and Zion, it seems like, I mean, he does seem like he has that personality somewhere in there, but he also seems like he's like, you know what, I don't really want all of this. And that's got to be kind of difficult for him to navigate, especially then you also, I, I still also remember that uh, that interview. I think it was like, was it like a, a Jumbotron segment or was it like a post-game interview where somebody like asked him like what his go-to meal was? And he was like, I don't want to answer this because they're going to just start, start, start talking about my weight again. Like that that's just got to be so like being just in that just relentless and I realize these guys get paid a lot of money to be in that type of spotlight but like for somebody like Zion who maybe is naturally introverted to have this sort of attention on him and why people want all of this out of him like that's got to be just kind of an interesting dynamic to observe every day yeah I mean like the the start of LeBron's career was pre-internet in a lot of ways and definitely pre-social media and and from the time Zion was 16, there has been the social media aspect of it. I mean, I, one of the famous stories is, you know, he had this big game in high school and he's from this tiny little town in South Carolina. He went to this small private high school there that was not really known for basketball. He had this crazy game and like Drake followed him on Instagram. Right. So yeah, there's, there's always been the the social media component and like people watching and, and nitpicking online uh, of his career. Um, and yeah, the, the, 
I mean, the interview you talked about the the food thing. Yeah, that I mean, I did feel bad for him in that moment. It's like, man, you you really have dealt with a lot of hate, but at the same time, like, I mean, the consistent word of the last couple of years is like the diet is a huge problem. Yeah, know? I mean, that's that's the thing is like I I am sensitive to the idea of like oh you know we're putting too much of an emphasis on his weight and it's kind of weird to just put this guy in a spotlight, but also I mean, and you kind you kind of hear about this sometimes with Luka Doncic also that like part of the job is to take care of your body and be in shape so that you can play this game that you get paid all this money to play. like, like there, th- both of those things are kind of at play here. Like I, you can kind of see both sides of it. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, LeBron is LeBron because he takes better care of his body than almost any professional athlete ever. Right. And I think yeah. the switch for Zion went off a little bit last off season, like, you know, missing the entire year with an injury he thought he would come back for game number one was a little bit of a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. I mean, he definitely put in work to, to lose some weight. You know, he had he hired a personal chef. He, he has a personal trainer. And, uh, you know, like his weight is always kind of – he doesn't like to talk about that, but his personal chef wrote on Instagram before the season that he dropped more than 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he lost a lot of weight before the start of the season. I don't – I'll just say I think the switch has gone off a little bit, but I don't think it's gone fully off. Like, I think for him to, like, be Joel Embiid and be a guy who at least plays in, like, three-fourths of the regular season consistently, things are going to have to continue to improve in terms of, like, training and dieting. That's so wild that Joel Embiid is now what we're talking about aspiring for him to be as far as availability, (laughs) considering what Joel... I mean, Joel Embiid missed his first two full seasons in the NBA with a broken foot and then he's you know pretty consistently had injury issues at different points and he's and he's now like even like compared to Zion he's like the paragon of durability that we're now like comparing him to it's it, that it's just it's just kind of wild how relative all this stuff is I, I feel like I'm at the point I'm just like please just give me 60 games yeah like, give if, me 60 of the 82 every yeah, year if Zion could play 60 games yeah I, I mean I agree with that I mean that take that you kind of said was like an old takes exposed situation that you wrote on earlier in the year if Zion can play 60 games, I absolutely think the Pelicans can be a contender just because he's that good and they have decent players around him. And it, you know, it seems, I mean, at least it seemed like last year, I don't know if that's kind of the blooms off the rose a little bit. Like Willie Green seems like a good coach. He seems like he's somebody that guys like and they like playing for. Is that still the case? Is he still, are people still happy with him? Or is that honeymoon period kind of worn off too? The, the honeymoon period has, I mean, definitely worn off among the fan base. I've started to get my first fire really green oh, tweets, yeah, which is, uh, yeah, that, that'll, mean, that'll, that'll come. That'll be, we yeah. see that a lot here in Portland. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's other stuff at play there too, but like there's, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always really funny how, how quickly people will just, you know, at the first sign of any kind of setback, it's, oh, fire the coach, fire the coach, even though, you know, it's, it's it's I mean Willie Green clearly like he's doing a good job overall. Yeah, I mean I guess I would just say this like I think Willie is a is a great people person and and a and a good motivator. I mean I think there have been some concerns. Is he getting the most out of this roster offensively the last two months? And I think there there are some legitimate concerns. You know as as far as that issue. I mean to me they just have a lot of, um, you know like. Like they have a lot of defensive minded guys around Zion and CJ, and then they have a few offensive minded guys who are not very good defenders. Like they just have a lot of one dimensional role players around CJ, CJ and BI. And like when you remove Zion from the equation, it, it's just really hard. I mean, I, I think they he could be 
better offensively in terms of like just getting them to generate the best looks. But overall, like I think he's good. And and the last thing they need is to make another change at coach. Like they've they had three different coaches in, yeah. in Zion and BI's uh first three years. Like, guess what they don't need? Like a fourth coach since Zion and BI <laughs> came here, you know? Yeah, like the whole, you know, they fire Alvin Gentry who was the previous regime's coach when David Griffin took over. And then uh that and that you know, and then the one year Stan Van Gundy experiment was just a complete personality clash, and that was that was just a bad match. That was like a bad uh, gamble there. And then it seemed like they found like the perfect guy in Willie Green. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm totally with you about like at a certain point you need you know the stability. You need to just know that the same guy is going to be there for a while. And it seems like like to me that's more important than whatever you know nitpicky criticisms people might have of some of you know willie green's in-game rotations or his adjustments or his play calling or like at a certain point you just need a little bit of consistency i mean 100 percent. i mean and and willie likes being in new orleans committed i mean like things things definitely don't feel great right now but mm-hmm. I, yeah i mean i don't i don't think they should be making any like wholesale changes in terms of coaching front office or, or anything like that. I mean, I think, you know, if the season ends the way it's going right now, like there's going to be interesting conversations about the roster and like the viability of a Zion BI duo, just because it's been four years and the highest they finished is ninth in the Western conference. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying, I think like move on from Brandon Ingram or anything like that, but like, you're going to, I think you're going to start getting those hard questions of like, ah, do we need to look at like fundamentally reshaping the roster? Well, they kind of did. How seriously were they actually in on OG at the deadline? I mean, I think they wanted him. The price was just insane. Yeah, I mean, they that wanted, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, they wanted, you know, Toronto, from what I understand, wanted multiple first-round picks. You know, they wanted yeah. multiple of, yeah. of New Orleans, you know, kind of interesting collection of, of young talent. Yeah. Um, and that was just like, no no way. They're yeah, not Portland that. talked pretty seriously about OG last June at the draft based around the number seven pick before they uh ended up taking Shaden Sharp and it was like they wanted the number seven pick plus more picks and other stuff and it was like I don't even think Portland was in on him this time but like the the just yeah that that what you're saying about yeah Toronto just wanted way too much but but I I guess kind of the point of me asking that is is that the kind of thing whether it's OG or somebody else at that level that would be looked at as like a legitimate game changer for a team that feels like they're maybe one piece away from being an actual contender. Is that kind of what you would expect David Griffin to go into this off season looking to do? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's a possibility they look at the starting center position. Um, I think Jonas Valanciunas is a good player, but Willie Green has made it pretty clear that, you know, at that center spot with, with the rest of the guys they have on this team, like he wants defensive versatility, like yeah. Larry Nance Jr., has played a way more fourth quarter minutes this season than than Jonas Valanciunas at the five. Like that's pretty telling in terms of what Willie values at that position. So I think you know they could look to to offload JV and you know maybe get someone more athletic or mobile on the defensive end in there at that spot. Um, and and just generally like the idea of OG was attractive to me and I think the Pelicans because it's like okay you can move her like you don't have to start her but you can still kind of get that that defensive ability but like competency in terms of you know a guy who can hit some threes at a reliable rate and and give you a little bit of scoring like they they do need that point of attack defense and they like that defensive versatility and size but they need someone who can like do
do a little bit more on the offensive end too. Like I, I would throw a lot of stuff for Mikkel Bridges. Like I would be trying to I think so a lot of people would throw some stuff at Mikkel Bridges. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how gettable he's now going to be. I feel like Brooklyn might feel like they got an all-star back for Kevin Durant and that might be the next guy they try to build around. I know that I can tell you this, Portland, if Mikkel Bridges ever becomes available in Brooklyn, that's somebody that, I mean, D- Dame trains with Mikkel over the offseason. They have the same trainer, Phil Beckner. Like, that's somebody that I think Portland, I think, I mean, that's really somebody that I think a lot of teams are going to be trying to get if he comes available. But yeah, that's it, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, I think Bridges is like, he's like replace OG as like the guy that everybody wants, except I don't think he's going to be available. I don't know what's going on with OG. You're hearing all these mixed signals of like, uh, you know, Toronto might look to move all their guys, and then, oh, the one move they actually make at the deadline is to bring in a guy and, you know, get back Jakob Pertl, and then, oh, they might try to, you know, move these guys again over the summer, but are the Masai's price is still going to be too high, but I guess more more to to the point of what I was, was trying to get at there, like, so you, you, the Pelicans, so who's, who's untouchable for the Pelicans besides Zion? Is it just Zion? I mean... Honestly, probably yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it would have to be a obviously really, somebody really good like Brand- Brandon Ingram. Like you, you aren't like looking to move, but that you know, if if you know whoever the next you know Durant left, like whoever that guy is, obviously he would have to be in that. But like, do they still like like where are they at this point on the Zion? And I know they haven't really seen that much of them together because one or both of them has been hurt at different points, but. Where are they? Like in the where's Willie at? Where is the front office at? Like where are people kind of long term on the viability of a Zion Ingram pairing and how well that can actually work together long term? Yeah, I mean I think that's kind of like the question they're gonna have to to answer this offseason. And I think, you know, like you want to see how these last twenty games play out. Um, right. I mean we don't even know yet if Zion's going to be back this season. Like maybe, you know, he could come back with like five games left and they win the play in again. And like you make the playoffs and, and you feel differently, but you know, like the way it's going, it kind of seems like maybe they'll make the play in and probably lose, or they might not even make the play in at all. Then you have to ask some really hard questions. And I would, I guess I would just say like the most likely outcome to me feels like run it back with the Zion BICJ trio and get a different starting center in there who makes you know, a little more sense defensively. Um, but like, it wouldn't shock me to see, you know, like they look at, well, what could we get for BI? I'll, I'll just say that. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Uh, looking just quickly at the, at the standings in the Western conference, Portland and new Orleans, technically new Orleans is 10th Portland's 11th. They are one percentage point separated. They're basically tied in the standings. Now 10th versus 11th in the play in versus out of the play in. This is so funny to me because I, you know, there's this, there's this great Twitter account that I've, that I've seen in the last, last couple of weeks called it's not just your team where every time like a team you know has a bad loss or has like a losing streak this account will also tweet like oh these other two teams also had the losing streak and it feels like everybody in the west is kind of at least in this bottom part of the west obviously you've got denver at the top memphis at the top sacramento seems like they're pretty solid phoenix just got durant and he's gonna play tomorrow supposedly so those are the four teams that are kind of in you know you think are kind of on an upward trajectory but then you look at everybody else and it's like Dallas is in sixth right now. They're two games back up on uh, New Orleans and Portland, and they just had this really bad loss to the Lakers where Jason Kidd 
you know, comes out afterwards and is like, I'm, you know, I'm not out there playing. I don't know what, you know, I'm not the savior. Like, and then, you know, the Golden State still doesn't have staff. Utah sold off a bunch of guys. The deadline, the Timberwolves have been up and down. Like, the Blazers and the Pelicans are both in, like, similar spots, right? Which is why these three games that they have against each other in the next three weeks or whatever, or four weeks or however, like, over the month of March are going to be so interesting because both of these teams, I think, are in the same spot where they could lose four games in a row and just be like, okay, we're not even going to make a play and let's pull the plug on the season. Or they could go on a little winning streak and end up in sixth or fifth. It's so thin. Yeah, I mean, like one or two good weeks can can make or break you in the Western Conference right now. And you know, I think what's interesting for New Orleans, you know, they got seven games and they're all against teams in that that three through 13 range in the Western Conference who aren't separated by... Oh, heck of a right. lot. I mean, I mean, Portland, they have like the New Orleans game is tomorrow, but they've got Golden State tonight, and that's another one of those teams. Yeah, and and like so many of these teams can't win on the road, uh, and New Orleans is one of them. I mean, they're 10-21 and 21 on the road. Like, they've been awful. They've got a three-game road trip coming up here. Like, it is it is definitely a gut check time. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty concerned. I mean, that was, that was why losing to the Magic at home on Monday was, like, so brutal. It's like, yeah, like, you, you just have to beat the Magic at home. You know, you can't get... You're the regular season series against Orlando swept. You know that's one that that's another that's another Portland one from this season. <laughs> like the 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 game against the Magic and home. Now to be fair, the Magic are like they're not a good team, but they are not Houston or San Antonio or Charlotte. Like the Magic have guys. Like Paolo's awesome. Like Bull Bull has turned into a guy. Franz Wagner has been really good. Like jonathan isaac since he's come back has looked really good like the magic have guys like losing to the magic is not the same thing as if you lost to like detroit or charlotte or something like that but if you're a team that's trying to hold on to your spot in the play and you yes you do have to beat orlando at home that's something that portland was also unable to do yeah i mean where where are you just at in on portland right now i mean i will watch the the dame the 71 ball game yes yeah. uh well I mean, they are kind of in the same place that the Pelicans are at. Like, I I think that, uh, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is going to, I mean, D- Dame has been adamant. And, I mean, you saw what he did. And I know they were playing the Rockets, so, you know, say whatever you want about that. But uh, they, he, Dame is adamant still. We talked to him the day before the Rockets game that, they still can make another run, that they still can string together a few wins and then they're right back in the mix. Dame's mindset is, I don't want to give up on the season. I want to keep, you know, going. And I, and I still believe that if they end up in the play-in, I think they will ultimately end up in the playoffs because how many people are you taking over Dame in a single elimination game? Not very many. But it's going to really depend on health because two of their starter you know Anthony Simons had that ankle injury right before the all-star break now uh you know at the time when he had the injury it looked bad enough at least in real time that it looked like it might be like a four to six week thing from what I've heard like I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back in the next week or two like he's recovering from it really really quickly he's already back on the court shooting he's uh you know, I saw him get it, doing some stuff on the court. He didn't even have any kind of wraps or tapes or anything like that on his ankle. So he might actually be back soon. The bigger one to me is Nurkic because he's been out since the beginning of February with a calf injury that originally they just ruled him out through the All-Star break. I've heard he started doing a little bit more stuff on the court. 
and uh, ramping up a little bit. He's still not fully like he's ruled out tonight against Golden State. I would imagine he probably doesn't play tomorrow against New Orleans. And then they have this six game road trip. So we'll see when or if he plays on that. But that's the bigger one to me because Nurkic for, you know, all of his flaws and shortcomings and inconsistencies as a player like they don't have anybody else taller than six foot nine on the entire roster and you saw the game right before the uh all-star break the last game they played was against washington and they just had nothing to do with chris Stapp's porzingis like he was just shooting over everybody drew drew eubanks you know six foot nine he plays hard and he does the best he can with the role that he's now being asked to play as the starting center with nurkic out but he's not going to be able to do anything with Porzingis. Like if you have Nurkic out there, at least you have a guy that can stay in front of somebody like that. Like I would imagine tomorrow with the, with the Pelicans, uh, Jonas is going to go off just because there's no Nurkic or there's nobody of that size to even put on him. So if Nurkic comes back soon and Dane keeps playing at the level that he's been playing at, I think they have a shot at kind of salvaging. And now I don't think they're going to win a playoff series. I don't look at any of the teams that, they would face in the first round and say, yeah, I think they could win a seven-game series against them. But, I mean, I I don't think their season is completely dead, but I think these upcoming two games and then the six-game road trip that they go on after that, including the game in New Orleans kind of at the end of that road trip, I think it's going to tell us a lot. Is our old friend John Butler still on a two-way? He is. He's actually down at the in the Stockton Kings uh, the, in the G League right now. His actually, actually, his first G League assignment of the year, believe it or not. Wow. Which okay. is, I think some of that is a function of the Blazers not having their own G League team. So they don't uh, have, uh, you know, they, they aren't really using it a lot just because you have to, you know, sign, you know, send your guys to somebody else's uh, team. And, you, you know, their development is maybe not going to be a priority. Greg Brown third, who is the other guy that they've sent to the G League this season, who has been waived since then. But they sent him to the Ontario Clippers just because Chauncey and Ty Lue were tight and like they knew that like he would take they would take care of him and then the they sent him to the King they sent John Butler to the Kings G League team just because uh you know proximity and it's the closest one there but John Butler has played I don't know the exact number off the top of my head I want to say under 10 games this season in garbage time so I have nothing for you on what he is as a prospect or how he's coming along development wise uh, can shoot it but uh was a long ways away in literally everything else i think that's <laughs> kind of what they are they are uh viewing both both of the blazers two-way guys john butler and ibu baji who's also a center who's from senegal uh who has not played a second for the blazers this season both of those guys, I mean, I would imagine both of them, I don't know, I don't know the exact, like, scouting process or who identified them. I would imagine both of those are Mike Schmidt's classics, though, where they just took a shot on a guy as, like, a long-term developmental project. And I do get tweets from fans about, like, well, why don't they play John Butler? Why don't they play Yubu Baji? Well, because they're not ready. They're not even close to being ready. They're so far away from being ready that they're not even giving them G League reps because they want them to work with the team's player development staff on a day-to-day basis, even if they're not going to play. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah, John Butler, I think he falls under the two years away from two years away. Uh-huh. Two years away from being two years away category. <laughs> right, and I think that's kind of the idea of like what, what the Blazers wanted to use their two-way spots for here. Or at, least, at least one of their two-way spots because uh, Olivier Saar was, one of, their, was their, one of their two-way centers at the beginning of the season. 
or in training camp, and he actually looked like he was going to get minutes. And that's a guy that actually had NBA experience last year with Oklahoma City. But then he had a wrist injury during training camp, and he was just not going to be ready, so they waived him, and they ended up signing Butler and uh, Ibu Baji. But, yeah, I didn't expect we were going to get into John Butler chat on here. But uh... <laughs> Well, just to your, to your earlier point about the play-in, um, it, it, like the Pelicans, obviously, they won two games in it last year to get to the playoffs, but... The plane is going to be so much more difficult this year. Yeah. Like the, the Pelicans played a pretty bad Spurs team in that, that first game. Like they had DeJounte Murray, but they were, I don't know, yeah. 11 games, 12 games under 500. Like they were just not good. Right. And then they had the fortune of catching the Clippers, who did not have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Paul, you know, Paul George had COVID, had COVID that right, game. Yeah. You know, they were able to beat them. So, like, you know, even if New Orleans gets the nine this year, it's going to be a much more difficult road to, to winning those two games and getting to the playoffs. That was such a, that, that Pelicans-Clippers game, especially because the Pelicans came back and won. And that was one that the Blazers, like my all of my followers were just losing their minds over because that game decided whether that Pelicans pick was going to convey. Yeah. And when it didn't, because the Pelicans made the playoffs, that was just like, maybe as despondent as I've seen Blazers fans really since the lost to Denver in the first round of the playoffs the year before. Like, I mean, it ended up working out okay because the pick that they did end up getting from the Pelicans, the, the, the 25 bucks pick was still enough to get Jeremy Grant from Detroit, but in the moment, and then like a couple weeks later, uh, their, their own pick in the lottery, which was slated to be number six falls to seven. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, God, the sky is falling. Dame is going to leave because their lottery pick dropped one spot and another pick didn't convey, and this is just not, like, that was the discourse. So that, that was that was a pretty memorable play in game, at least, even from my end. By the way, the people in the Pelicans front office were rooting hard for Portland to take Shaden Sharp because they wanted Dyson Daniels so bad. Like there they... were people. There were people in the Blazers front office who wanted Dyson Daniels. It wasn't. I mean, you understand kind of what the debate is there because Shaden Sharp they felt like had the highest upside of yeah. any player on the board, and Dyson Daniels was much more of a plug and play. Uh, you know, he can contribute right now on a playoff team type. You know, t- type of type of guy. There were guys. You know, especially considering that the whole idea with the Blazers was, you know, we want to build around Dane. We want to, you know, keep, you know. The idea of taking Shaden Sharp, which is why, like, you know, I was talking earlier about they tried really hard to move that pick for, like, OG Ananobi or, you know, I think John Collins was somebody that they talked about at one point, too. But, like, they tried really hard to move that pick for somebody kind of of that caliber. And then when they took Shaden Sharp, they were just, like, it was more of, like, oh, okay, they're just going for, like, a super high upside project. Now, Shaden has become a rotation player a lot more quickly than I think anybody thought he would. He's been very up and down, but... You know, they. I, th- I. I think both teams are pretty happy with how that draft shook out. I think both teams are happy with who they ended up with. Yeah, and I, I don't think it was because New Orleans like didn't think Shaden Sharp had a high ceiling or anything. It was. It was more so like we kind of have like three stars already, and it's like the last thing we need is a developmental guy. Like we need, we need defense around those three guys. Yeah, and we need to win right now. And uh, it looked pretty smart for a while. Uh, if only you know the two main guys could ever stay healthy. My my favorite stat from this year, not my favorite, but I think the most telling stat of mm-hmm. the Willie Green era is Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson have played in 12 games together while Willie Green has become the head coach. That's only four less than Ky- Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden played together in their entire tenure in Brooklyn. <laughs> they played, what, 16 games, and they were like 14-2 and two in those games? 
Yeah, the Pelicans are in danger of becoming a theoretical team. <laughs> the theoretical All Stars. Uh, they also, and you know what though, it's gonna be it's gonna be so funny if. And now this is in play again. You saw the news today that LeBron is like gonna be out for a while. Yeah, a couple couple weeks, right? And uh, maybe what the if? pick maybe the pick still swaps. I was are worried about be, it. For are you gonna be covering Zion and Wemby next year? Is that <laughs> gonna be what this is gonna be? Uh... That would be fascinating i mean in terms of the basketball fit hey man that's It'd that's be... what they need <laughs> a seven foot guy, five guy who can shoot and handle and block shots i mean i did you did you see that clip i, I this is i mean i don't want to get off on a whole tangent but did you see that clip that was like going around this morning from the espn show that was like could the lakers beat the nuggets in a playoff series if they get through the play I sure and did. Yeah. Everybody raised their hands. Yes, <laughs> it's just so funny to me the way that the Lakers are talked about compared to the way any other team in their position would be talked about just because they're the Lakers. Uh, like Jared Vanderbilt, if that if that if that three team trade with the Lakers and Minnesota and Utah hadn't happened, the Blazers had a deal in place to get Jared Vanderbilt for Justice Winslow and two second round picks. That was the price for Jared Vanderbilt, and that was the price for him for a reason. He is not getting Jared Vanderbilt is not making the Lakers win a playoff series that they wouldn't have won otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I really like the the moves the Lakers made at the trade deadline. Well, they got just, better, but did they get yeah. better enough to at all change what their fortune? And especially now with this news that. LeBron is going to be out for a little bit with the with the foot injury like that that their season's probably a wrap now. Yeah, I mean it just doesn't feel like we're going to get to find out, which is uh fine with me. I think Tim McMahon calls the the Lakers the greatest 13th place of all time. That's the way they're talked about. Yeah. It's the way they're talked about. Yeah. <laughs> well, Christian, uh really appreciate you doing this. This was fun to kind of get some thoughts on the Pelicans, which is a team the Blazers A are close to in the standings and B are going to be seeing a lot over the next few weeks, including tomorrow night. Uh, tell people where they can get all of your stuff, the podcast and the coverage of the team on the, at the Times Picayune. Yeah, you can read my stuff on NOLA.com, and then I'm a co-host of From the Wing, uh, Pelicans podcast on the Blue Wire Network, and those are those are the two best places. Yeah, go do it. Christian covers the Pelicans, does a great job, covers the team very well. Uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, man, it's been really cool to see uh, everything you've done since you've gone independent. Mm -hmm. uh, really enjoyed it. And yeah. Keep it up, man. It's, it's been great. I yeah, appreciate that, man. Talk to you soon.